The Seahawks announced their presence to the entire country last night, annihilating the Giants 24-3 in New York. It was Seattle's best defensive performance in years, and at 3-1, they find themselves tied for the third best record in the NFL. Joining us to break it down and look ahead to the rest of the season is KJR's Sports Talk Radio host, Dick Fain. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my post-pubescent producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? <laughs> I guess I can't argue with that one, man. Uh, <laughs> we're doing great, Jackson. We're coming off of quite the quite the primetime affair in the Meadowlands, and uh, yeah, energy is high, vibes are high, things are great. How are you, man? You know, I'm feeling good. Writing the Cigar Thoughts recap last night took me till about 1 a.m., and then we did the audio recording, so it was a short night. I know it was for you, too, but it was filled with sweet dreams after that ass-whooping. Oh, man. I know primetime games uh, take their toll uh, during the season, but <laughs> no, no, we're, we're making it happen. It was an <laughs> easy one. The part that people don't see. <laughs> yes, yes, but that was an easy game to, to put the work in over, so no, it was great. It was an awesome night. It was great for the young guys to really you know, show out, um, on national television. And most importantly, it was a big game for Julian love. And I'd just like to everyone to remember (laughs) that I've never wavered in my support for him. I've always (laughs) been very outspokenly supportive of his play throughout this season so far. So just a great night for me all around. Yeah. Yeah. You have been steadfast in leading the pro Julian love charge. That's seriously, man. The the Seahawks are on a serious roll now having won three straight games. They head into their bye week looking like one of the better teams in football. We're going to dive into all the delicious details from last night's game shortly. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that we've got our own cigars now and they're really good. We partnered with one of the most prestigious cigar manufacturers in the world to release the official cigar thought cigars, which you can order directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf, or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll send you the details directly. The feedback on these has been sensational. As we've mentioned before, a box of 10 of these cigars would normally go for between $350 to $400, but our partnership allows you to get your own bundle of 10 for just $169, which is less than half of MSRP. And the cigars, they come with a Bavita humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh whether you have a humidor or not. We also appreciate the love y'all have given our YouTube channel, where you can now catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. Last week's debut video episode was a hit, and this is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow, so we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the videos. Now, every week tells a different story in the NFL. And we saw Seattle go from giving up nearly 30 points a game to sucking all the oxygen out of the Giants offense en route to a 24-3 drubbing. It was the latest in a long series of great primetime performances under Pete Carroll, while also providing a national debut for some of the exciting young players on this defense. Joining us to chop it up and break it down is a great friend of the show and one of the best voices in Seattle sports media. He co-hosts the Softy and Dick show on KJR Sports Talk Radio and he sits down with us fresh out of the dentist chair. He is Dick <laughs> Fain, my man. Thanks for coming in. 
How they looking, boys? Are they looking okay? Oh yeah, yeah. baby. Oh, oh yeah, man. They are looking. They are looking good, man. Finally, my breath doesn't stink. It's uh, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, listen. Love having you on, and let's get right into this game from last night. You know, I was feeling pretty encouraged about the Seahawks after they pulled away from Carolina last week, and combined with the Giants getting smoked by San Francisco, I thought Seattle would be in pretty good shape in this one. Yeah. Then the Vegas line opened with the Giants favored by a point and a half. And I started to ask myself, what do they know that I don't? Because Lord Lord knows I've been duped before. Now, by the time kickoff rolled around, the money had pushed the Seahawks to a two and a half point favorite. And I can't remember the last time I saw a line move four points without a major injury in mm-hmm. one week. But and And it seems a little silly to ask after what we saw last night, but... Did you have any doubts about Seattle's likelihood of winning that game? No, I didn't. And the only thing, and I was actually doing the show at the Emerald Queen Casino before the game yesterday, and I played some wagers for next week's games, and I decided, do I want to place? I like the Hawks, obviously, here, but I was with you. I was like, wait a second, what what does Vegas know that we don't know? Yeah. I was going through the the matchups, and I was like, okay, we got the quarterback advantage. We got the – we got the running back advantage. We got the wide receiver advantage on, on, on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, how is the, how are the Giants going to score with those wide receivers and that running back? I was like, and so I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to lay off and just watch the game as a Seahawk fan. I don't want to, you know, and, yeah. and you know, I could have made an easy, easy C note, like no problem at all <laughs> yesterday. Right. Just, to, you know, well, dropping as, something as on someone who game. made a few of them, uh, yeah. yeah, missed opportunity there. <laughs> No question about it, man. But uh, yeah, that was it. Was a beatdown, and you know the conversation on the post game show last night with Hugh was, you know, how much was was it what Seattle was doing? How much of it was just the the fact that Daniel Jones has got no help around him whatsoever? And you know, we're seeing that with quarterbacks around the league that the quarterbacks that are left on an island with no team around them look really, really bad, whether or not they're bad or not. And I think Daniel Jones is one of those quarterbacks that you know certainly is a middle-of-the-road starter in the NFL. I think top end, if he was with a really good team, could potentially be a top 10, top 12 quarterback in the NFL. But the rest of that team makes him look like a bottom 10 quarterback in the NFL because he was just under siege all night. It's tough because, you know, he's become a bit of a punchline. And and look, at at some point, if you are a good quarterback or even an average quarterback, because I struggle with that too. He makes plays where I'm just like, man, Put the right situation around him. He's going to be really good. But, you know, he's, what, four or five years into his career, and he has more turnovers than touchdowns? Like, Andy Dalton does, wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, right. at, some, at some point, there's a level of proficiency uh, required to be considered, you know, league average or better. And, and look, since we're talking about it, let's start with this defense. I mean, it had been a bit of a tough go on that side of the ball to start the season. They were giving up over 29 points a game, which ranked 29th out of 32 teams. And while they've been delightfully surprising against the run, everyone from Jared Goff to Andy Dalton had thrown for over 300 yards against them. But then they marched into New York and absolutely obliterated the Giants. They held the G-Men to 248 yards. They forced three turnovers. Of course, recorded the franchise record 11 sacks. You kind of talked about this a little bit at the top, but in your mind, was this more a credit to Seattle's defense or an indictment of that New York offense? Like, how do you divvy up the credit and the blame for such a dominant performance? Well, I wasn't I wasn't too worried about the 29th in, in scoring defense. This is a defense A that always starts slow. I mean, the last the last three seasons, we've been reading 
reports after the first month of the season. The Seahawks are on a record pace for yards allowed per game, right? It's like that's what happens every <laughs> single year in September. It's it so is no true. difference than the Mariners going 38 and 42 after 80 games. Well, no right. crap they're going to go 38 and 42 <laughs> after the first 80 games. They always go 38 and 42 after the first. So, I wasn't right. really worried about too much about the Seahawks uh, Seahawks defense. Because I saw flashes in that Detroit game. I mean, I, I saw a pretty solid effort from that defense against, you know, yeah, Andy Dalton threw for his yards, but they weren't really, they weren't really damaged yards, right? They were just, Correct. you know, they, they were give up yards between the twenties, and that's kind of what the what the Seahawks do. And so I think there was a lot of turnover in that defense as well. Think about the injuries they've had. I mean, all those corners down. Tariq finally gets back on the field yesterday. Jamal hasn't been back, you know. Witherspoon is just, you know, kind of coming into his own and he started at outside corner and now he's playing inside corner. So there's a lot of uncertainties with the back end that once they get that short up, I think that's going to be one of the best back ends in the NFL bar none. Where my Dude. questions lie was the front four, right? And would the four, front four be able to get pressure without the blitz? And that's really been a hit and miss area over the first three weeks of the season. It wasn't a hit and miss area yesterday. It was a straight out hit yesterday. And yeah. so I'll give half the credit to the front four yesterday, and I'll give half the credit to the that Giants offensive line that, one, was banged up. Two, was not – I mean, they didn't have – I think they had 24, 25 career starts on that offensive line Crazy. coming into the game. Then they lose John Michael Schmitz, a guy that I wanted the Seahawks to draft, by the of way, yeah. in, in the first round. They lost him to, during the middle of the game. And then I thought they quit. I, I mean, that offensive line to me – Looked like they didn't give a damn in the last 20 minutes of that game. You know how, who else didn't look like they gave a damn? Brian Dable didn't look like he gave a, gave yes. a damn. I mean, my God, coach of the year? Really? So Fraud. you, Fraud. I mean, if Brian Dable last year was coaching the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll was the coach of the New York Giants, who would have won the, won the coach of the year award? Yeah. Oh, it'd been Pete Carroll. No, I mean, it was no, a total no New York East Coast bias vote yesterday, last year. It was crazy. It was, and I, I really try not to put a lot of stock into like, because I think a lot of time it's like a manufactured slight against your favorite team. You know, every, everyone feels like the national media slights their favorite team, but it wasn't close to me. I mean, Seattle was better than New York at everything pretty much yes. last year. They finished yes. with the same record. Seattle kicked the shit out of them last year also. And, you know, I, and I, I wrote about this in the article last night when I was doing the recap. But they kept showing that highlight uh, after the pick six of Brian Dowell going over, talking like it looks super condescendingly to Daniel Jones and then like tossing the Microsoft Surface at him. And my yeah. first thought was no matter how dark it's ever gotten with Seattle, and we've seen some dark times and some real dysfunction over the last five, six years in Seattle, Pete Carroll would never Never. It's exactly what my thought was too. I was like, wow, we, we have a coach that would never, ever do that. And we got two football coaches here. Kalen DeBoer would never, ever do that. I mean, right. they just maintain their decorum in a time now in the NFL and in college football where coaches are losing their bleep all the time. Now they're yeah. losing their bleep on the sidelines. They're losing it in the media. It's like really weird. And so it's really cool to have my two favorite football teams have coaches that are just like, it's all good, man. It's all yeah. good. No matter how bad it gets, it's all good. And I'm going to be the CEO of this franchise. 
And I'm not going to stoop down to the level of some of these coaches that are losing their minds. So if Gino takes a bad sack, you don't want Pete going Trent Dilfer on the sideline? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. How about get, that example? Get that right? guy I was out think, of here, I wasn't man. even thinking of Trent Dilfer. I was thinking more like Ryan Day and Jake Dickard and those guys. But you're right. exactly right. Trent Dilfer took the cake last week. Yeah, no, no kidding, man. And, like, here's the thing. You've already got a quarterback that is struggling. It's got to face some pretty loud music from – the toughest media market in the country. And now he also has to go up there and answer questions about his relationship with his coach and all of that stuff. I mean, look, it's, it, it comes with the money. It comes with the position, but the coaching was not making it any easier on Daniel Jones or that offense, or frankly, that defense either. Like when you, it, it does start at the top, you know, and, and you need juice from that coach. And, I'm a big believer in momentum. You are never staying where you're at. You're either progressing or you're regressing every minute of your life. And when you give up like that as a coach, like I I think you said it perfectly. I I think Brian Dabble gave up in that halfway through that game. How can, how can you go into the next week of practice and get on your team for looking like they gave up? Because I agree. I think everybody did. No, it's, they're a disaster. Um, I I just, I don't see that team winning more than like four games this season. I mean, they can't, they can't take a quarterback with that top pick this year because they just gave Daniel Jones four. That's a great call. No, that's a great call. And, uh, they're going to have an opportunity to, to get a very high pick, but, uh, you know, it's, they, they were asking today on the, the national media, you know, who's in worse shape, the Jets or the Giants. I don't think there's any question. I mean, at least the Jets have one side of the football that can play. Yeah, you no. know, and, and the Giants have nothing. I mean, when they get Saquon back, they, I mean, they're going to have to just ride him. But, uh, you know, he's he's probably three games away from breaking down again for another month. So, yeah, that's a that's a bad football team. So, you know, it's it's good that you took care of business, but that's really all they did. I mean, the Seahawks just went and took care of business, did what they were supposed to do against a team like but, that. But to that point, they didn't take their foot off the gas either. That's right. They, I mean, they played downhill to the final whistle. They went for it on fourth down with a minute and a half left. And I don't think that was a fuck you move from Seattle. I think no. they were thinking if we can get one more first down, we can down this out and stop playing football. But up until that point, they were still, I mean, they were still blitzing, you know, they, yeah. they said, we are going to play our game. These are valuable reps for these guys. Pete Carroll doesn't want his players ever feeling like there's a room to not go full speed on an NFL football field. And, you know, it, it was funny because Pete used the same kind of parlance in the postgame show that he used back in 2012 when he said, we're just getting started. I know. He used that line back in 2012, and he was exactly right. They were just getting started. And, and that was kind of the last time that we saw this team keep the foot down. Remember those games at the end of the season in 2012 when they were kicking the crap oh. out of Buffalo, like 58 to nothing and Arizona. Yep. And, you know, they put up like 200 points in four games or something like that. And, yep. and you know, that it, it had the feeling of that where it's this young, hungry, feisty team led by this, you know, rookie cornerback that, and I thought Hugh brought it up in the post game show yesterday. He, he said, he thought, Devin Witherspoon was inspiring the rest of that defense what an to play hard. Thing. And I totally agree. But what an insane statement, right? I mean, he's 21 years old. And look, there's yeah. there's no sense in delaying the main attraction here anymore. I mean, <laughs> let, let's talk about Devin Witherspoon because we had you on the show during the draft to help recap the first two days 
Yep. But I'm curious how you're feeling about Seattle taking him at number five and whether that opinion has changed at all since they made the pick. I was stunned. Uh, I was stunned they took Devin Witherspoon. I mean, I, what I wanted to say, I, there wasn't anybody available at five that I really thought they should have taken at five, even Jalen Carter, because he fell so far. I was like, Ooh man, there must be some serious red flags if that guy's guy's going to fall through like six teams, you know? So I I wasn't, I wasn't critical of them not taking Jalen Carter, but I was very surprised. I took with a spoon. I wanted to see them trade down. Um, Mm -hmm. They obviously didn't find a part either. A didn't find a partner or B just loved Devin Witherspoon so much. And, and you can take them at their word and saying he was, he was the guy. My concern with Witherspoon was the size and the durability, not uh-huh. not in his talent, because right. I was like, man, if you take a if you take a corner five, dude's got to be Jalen Ramsey. I mean, dude's got to be locked down. Forget it. I'm on the All Pro team for like four years. Yes. When you take a corner that high, he's got to be that guy. And I had a lot of question marks on whether he could be that guy. I didn't have any question marks that he could be a really solid starting, capable corner. But at least through the early returns, he appears like he's that guy. Plus, he adds this freaking nastiness off the edge. Oh, my God. That we don't see Jalen Ramsey coming off the edge, you know, blowing up quarterbacks. So he's kind of like a hybrid lockdown corner Jamal Adams. It's like, it's yes. crazy. Well, and, and you know, on the broadcast last night, they they compared him to two all-time greats. And and. Look, you get a performance like that from a kid in his third game, it's going to engender some hyperbole. But the two players they mentioned were Deion Sanders and Richard Sherman. And there's aspects of his game that, you know, I I think reminds you of those players a little bit. I am not going to put him on that level anytime soon. But from like a vibes perspective, from the way he moves perspective, you know who he reminds me of? Earl Thomas. He reminds me of young Earl Thomas. I had never at that time, I had never seen a defensive player short of Troy Polamalu that could identify a play as fast as Earl Thomas and get to where the ball was going before the offensive player did. And that is how Devin Witherspoon plays. Well, and there's some, I mean, it's going to be so fun watching this guy just attack like little swing routes where how many times do you see like a little swing route and a member of the secondary comes up to make a big hit and he just freaking whiffs because right. he, he doesn't have that sense of where the guy's going to go. It's like Witherspoon's not only not going to miss, he's going to blow the dude up. Like the yes. guy is, he's going to make a hundred out of a hundred tackles one-on-one in the flat, just it's closing insane. on a guy. It's, and, and that's going to be and, so And he'll much do fun. it in the box too. Yes, the, way he put, <laughs> the way he put Matt Breida on his ass in between the guard and the tackle last night I was like, are you right? Are you kidding me? And, and that's, just that's wanna... why the Dion comparison doesn't fit for me. And I'm look, I don't think we'll ever see someone cover like Dion. Right. But right. that guy didn't want to hit. <laughs> it was like a running joke. You know, he, he wasn't going to tackle Devin Witherspoon going to hit you. No, he's going to, he's going to hit you. And you know, what I want to see is, okay, how well is he going to defend the go, the fade, the post, you know, how well is he going to defend 25 to 40 yards from, yes. from the line of scrimmage? And, you know, the early returns are pretty good. I mean, my, my son brought it up uh, when we were at the the last home game, the, the Carolina game, where, you know, he, he was sticking with a guy down the sidelines. And and he was like, man, he, he sticks with him even better than Tariq because Tariq gets beat all the time. But Tariq's fast enough to catch up when he gets beat. Yeah. Witherspoon just doesn't get beat. 
You know, yeah. so and that's going to be a fun tandem to watch for a lot of years. There's no question about that. Yeah. And, you know, I was something I was kind of musing about during the game last night. When this defense is fully healthy, where the hell do you throw the ball, man? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And that's why it's all it, it all has to do with the front four. Right. And and can if the front four can provide just consistent pressure then this defense has an absolute chance to be top 10 in the NFL. If they can't provide decent pressure, I still think they're around 15, 16. I think sure. that at the very worst, they're like middle of the road if they can stay healthy. Top 10 offense, top 15, 16 defense, that's a 10-win football team. That's a team with a good matchup in the first round, can win that first round game on the road. Can it go beyond that? I'm not sure what the top end of this team is right now because yep. it doesn't look like they're going to win the division. Not, not because they're not good enough to win a division. It just happens to be this division. <laughs> and it looks yep. like the Niners are probably going to win 13 games. I think that's probably a little too much to ask for Seattle. Sure, sure. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But I want to stick with this defensive front. And, and I'm going to expand it to the front six, front seven, because – we saw the linebackers involved and and honestly defensive backs involved in the backfield the last two games in a way we haven't seen in years from Seattle. And it's something that I've just been begging this team to do on this show mm-hmm. is just bring some heat to stop bending with the hope of not breaking. Well, they didn't have let's the trust. Try, let's they didn't try have the trust in the back end. Totally to do agree. That. Totally agree. And now that they do, I mean, it's, it's all interconnected, of course, but I mean, we're talking about a team that last week led the NFL with 36 pressures. Like, that's an insane number. And then they set the high water mark for the league with 11 sacks in this game. Is this avalanche that we've seen over the last nine days from this front seven a trend or just a couple of random data points? I think it's a, it's definitely a trend in the right direction. You did face the Panthers and the Giants. Mm-hmm. So that... You know, that's why talk, I yeah, I mean, I think I, like I said, I think this defense is good enough to be league average with some, you know, home run capabilities, right? Mm-hmm. There's league average teams that kind of are the bend, but don't break kind of what the Seahawks have been the last few years. It's just like, okay, we'll give up a lot of yards. We'll be good in the red zone, not give up a lot of points. I mean, that's kind of been the MO for the Seahawks. This Seahawks defense does not appear like it's that at all. It appears like it's going to be the opposite of that. It's like, Okay, no, we're going to come after you. We're going to be the aggressors. aggressors. We're going to get a couple of turnovers a game. We're going to get four or five sacks a game or 11. Explosive plays on defense. Yes, we exactly. haven't had that. We, we haven't, haven't had, had that. that in six, seven years. So, I mean, that's, that's how this defense – it's just going to be a lot more fun defense to watch. I mean, the defenses over the last few years is like, okay, we succeeded on this drive because we allowed an eight-play, 70-yard drive that, that ended in a field goal. We win, right? right. This right. defense is not going to be happy with eight plays, 70 yards that end with a field goal. This defense isn't going to be happy unless they sack you once on the drive, force you into third and 13, knock the ball away, and have you punting from your own 15. I mean, that's yeah. what this defense is yeah. going to be happy with. Yeah, totally. You know, we had uh, Matty Brown on recently, and he's you know he's just a, a brilliant schematic technician, uh, and just being able to really understand how things fit together uh, and diagnose that. And one of the things we talked about is it feels like Seattle has more chess pieces um, now than they have before. It's they've got different players that can do different things, and you felt like. Clint Hurt was really pitching with his best stuff for the first time. Yeah. You know, like 
you know, they, they say in, in baseball, if you've got three pitches, you can compete. If you've got one of them feeling really good, you can win if you've got two and you can dominate if you have all three yeah. working and not all pitchers have all three pitches working every game. He had all three pitches working and he was not afraid to use them all. Where's the heat going to come from? That's the fun thing. It's like, okay, you know that the blitz percentage is going to be way up compared to was it what it was in the last few years. Okay, is it going to be coming from the edge? Witherspoon, is it going to be coming from Brooks? Is it going to be coming from Bobby straight up the gut? Like, where is this? You know, Dude, where, is it going to be coming from Bobby Jamal? Wagner. Yeah, let's talk about well, Bobby Wagner because right now he looks five years younger. Like, the Bobby Wagner that we saw the last couple years in – Seattle was a tackling machine, but they were tackles five, six, seven yards downfield. And yeah, I think a lot of it, it, it did feel like he had lost a step and maybe he still has, yeah. but they also weren't in a position to put him in attack mode. He is in attack mode right now. I mean, he had one of the best statistical games of his hall of fame career last night. He had 18 tackles and two sacks. Are you kidding me? How about the bear hug that he gave the running back where he just kind of came into his arms <laughs> and he just like lifted the dude up like I, you know, like I do my daughter when she was like three years old and just planted the guy. I mean, you know, as he can, he's got speed up to, to attack, speed enough to attack. He obviously knows the defense better than anybody. He puts everybody in the right situation. If he sees one guy five inches out of place, he's going to talk to that guy pre-snap and make sure he's in the he's in the right spot. And so that adds so much to it. I don't want to see Bobby out in space too much anymore. Like yep. uh, you know, like I mean, I I had no qualms five six years ago. Bobby covering anybody. You want to cover a wide receiver, Bobby? You cover a wide receiver. You want to cover a tight end, running back? You cover anybody you want. Now we don't want to see that, but we do want to see him in attack mode. We do want to see him as the leader of that defense, telling people where to go, and and obviously fill in the middle. I mean, nobody nobody in the last twenty years in the NFL has filled the middle like Bobby Wagner. Nope, completely agree. He he's been one of one in that regard for a long. I mean, since Ray Lewis, probably. Yeah, no, that's the last one. That's absolutely right. Yeah, and and the effect that he's having on Jordan Brooks, and also I think we're seeing Brooks back up to full speed finally. That was a pretty gnarly injury he had at the end of last yep. season to see him flying around and like playing with veteran juice, like in, in the same way that we're seeing DK Metcalf really start to refine, like not just rely on his remarkable athleticism to win, but he's doing all the little veteran stuff to win. I'm starting to see that from Jordan Brooks and, and you can see that. He's not looking around kind of wondering what's going to happen anymore. And I think that's a Bobby effect. He's a little bit freer to pin his ears back, see the ball, get the ball. Well, look how he played when Bobby was there a couple of years ago as a rookie. I mean, weren't they like, weren't they like one and two in tackles in the, in the NFL? And then he just kind of backslid maybe partially due to injury, but I think more due to the fact that Bobby wasn't there. He had to play a position he wasn't really comfortable with. And now he is free to, to be Jordan Brooks. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's, he, he has the upside to be one of the better linebackers in the NFL. I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to be an all pro, but you know, he's got, he's got pro bowl potential. I think definitely. Yeah. You know, we, we could spend the whole show talking about this defense and how they played last night, but there are a few other guys I want to get to before we flip to the other side of the ball. And three of them are up front. You know, I think the kind of unheralded catalyst of what we've seen the last two weeks is Uchenna and Wosu, who is really filling up the stat sheet this year. And he did it last year. Nine and a half sacks is good enough to tie for the team lead. It's not a number that's, you know, going to make fans of other teams sit up and take notice. But this year, 
he might find himself in the top 10 in the NFL in sacks the way he's playing. Yeah, it's funny because everybody we talked to from San Diego slash L.A. Uh, that we had on when we got Nichen and Nuosu um, a year and a half ago was, man, this guy is this guy's really good. Nobody's heard of him outside of Chargerland, but he is really, really good. And they were exactly right. I mean, it was a really savvy acquisition by the Hawks. And and now he's starting to make a, a na- more of a national name for himself. I mean, you're buried down there in L.A. I mean, nobody nobody pays attention to the Chargers in L.A., let alone outside L.A. So it reminds me of the Quandre Diggs acquisition. Yeah, in that like very good call. The, the people who know knew, but yes, you you didn't. If you didn't, you know what I mean. No, that's exactly right. And and you know nobody was paying attention to Detroit while Quandre is there. They're finally paying attention to Detroit now. But uh, no, you're right. I mean, we've got a lot of these pieces of. Guys on this defense that are kind of in that same level, that that borderline Pro Bowl level, you know, the Diggs and the Nuosus and the Jaron Reeds and the, and the Brookses, and then you got your Rock and Bobby, and you got your future stars in Tariq Woolen and Witherspoon. Yeah, making stuff. Maybe I'm underselling it, saying they could be a 15th, 16th best defense in the league. If they can all come together, I mean, top 10's not out of the realm of possibility. From a pure talent standpoint, it absolutely is not yeah. out, of, out of the possibility. And, you know, there's there's a couple other guys up front, too, who have been massive, pleasant surprises this year. One is Jaron Reed. Mike, mm-hmm. have you heard what the severity of his injury is yet? He last night did not seem too concerned. He said it was okay. a shin. I think it was a shin. It looked like a shin. A shin contusion. It was okay. a shin contusion. He He's going to be, be sore. sore, but there was... Yeah, nothing broken. So, I mean, I think I think we're going to be in and, and the bye. You know, yeah, like it's the, the big question. Like, you want the bye after a three game win streak? You just want to keep rolling. Well, dude, I want to get this team healthy, man. This team, totally. this team is what is going on in the NFL? Like, are, is it? Am I just making it up, or are there way more injuries in the NFL dude, this the, year than there have been last in the last few years? There, there absolutely are. We don't give enough credit to how the pure physics of NFL players have changed, and it's not just the contact that gets made. I mean, guys are hitting each other. They're bigger and they're faster. It's not 220 pound linebackers running four sevens anymore. It's 240 pound linebackers running four fives. And the other thing is as these guys get more and more Avenger, like with their bodies, muscles grow and get stronger at a faster rate than tendons do. And the reason I think that we see a lot of these non-contact injuries is the sheer force put on knees and ankles and hips Mm -hmm. and shoulders with the way these guys are changing direction at the speed that they are. You know, you do that a hundred times in a season. One of those times something might pop. So I I do think injuries are, you know, increasing. I think they're going to continue to increase. I actually applaud the league for trying to, you know, reduce the impact of plays that have the highest injury rates, like returns and protecting quarterbacks and all that stuff. What I really want to see them do is expand game day rosters. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. love to see them be able to suit 60, 65 guys. Yeah. Because in games like last night, I mean, I don't want you know, Ken Walker was carrying the ball in the last drive and I was I holding my breath every time he had the ball. I was like, I know. can we just throw DJ Dallas in there? I mean, what's going on? Not <laughs> we, that I, we were saying the same thing. I mean, not that yeah. I want DJ Dallas to get hurt, but you know, Ken Walker is running into a pile of seven guys, Yeah, you know, five Be- times behind on the, the last backup drive. Line. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, man. We, we don't need canine with a random, you know, high ankle sprain in a game that's over. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think we should be able to have full 
you know, if not full first and second offensive units and first and second defensive units, pretty darn close to full units on, on both sides where you're talking, you know, you're, you're talking about situations and I'm not just talking about backups that, that can fill in at multiple spots. I mean, give me, give me 10, 11 linemen, you know, on, 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 those are the ones really that you probably need more of. Like you need more offensive linemen, you need more defensive linemen. Totally agree. Uh, Last two guys I want to touch on on defense. One, Boye Mafe is arriving. Yeah. And the other one is, you know, I'm sure every team has their one offseason acquisition that, you know, everyone wants to call a bust right away. The other guy that had his best game is the Seahawk, and it's because I think the revenge game thing is real, was Julian Love. What do you see from those two guys? What are you expecting from them the rest of the way? I think Julian Love is a great leader. Um, I got a chance to chat with him for about a half an hour at an event that I did with him about three months ago. And I was blown away. I was like, wow, this is the, the this guy's the best interview on the team, you know, right. like right off, right off the bat. I mean, just really savvy, intelligent, um, you know, thoughtful and, and can, can really ball. And he fills multiple needs for this team. He can play multiple positions. So I love his versatility. I love, he's going to be an instant leader uh, on this team. And then, you know, boy, Mafe. He's he is doing what you want the next level or the next year player to do. You want him to okay, let's just take that step, right? You don't have to go from A to Z, but can you go from A to G? You know, mm-hmm. in the in the next in the next year. And that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, I didn't love his his closeout on Daniel Jones last night on the third down. I wish <laughs> yeah. I mean, but me as a ba- basketball coach is yelling at the screen, break down, man, break down, don't fly <laughs> yeah. at the shooter. You know, break yeah. down, make the tackle, you know, and uh, well, he was just, he was just setting Devin up, you yeah, know, that's right. If that's he, right. He makes that tackle. New York kicks a field goal. That's and, true. And we There's don't, no we don't get our moment. So that's he's just call. helping a teammate out. Yeah, I love, I love it. But yeah, no, so obviously he's got things to learn, but I love his motor. Um, he's, he stops the, he does, you know, he does what Daryl Taylor has not been able to do well. And that's both defend the pass and defend the run, you mm-hmm. know? So he's a pretty versatile guy in there. So I, I love what we're seeing from him. Yeah. Now, on the other side of the ball, Seattle had some trouble getting going. And to me, most came down to two factors. One, a very talented D-line going up against what was essentially five backups by halfway through the second quarter. And two, difficulty getting into rhythm because the defense was so dominant. Because for as bad as the Seahawks scoring defense had been coming in, the offense had been that good. They were fourth worst in points allowed, but they were fourth in points scored. Obviously, what they got from the O was good enough last night, but yeah. did the anemic stat line give you any cause for concern going forward? Not really. Um, I think we know what this offense is more so than maybe we know what this defense is because the offense is pretty it's pretty consistent with what we had last year, right? It's pretty much most of the same guys other than the other than the offensive line. So I, I think you're kind of going to know what you're going to get from this offense. They're not going to be. They're not going to be world beaters. They're not going to be scoring 30 points a game every night like the like the 49ers do. But most days they're going to put put up enough points to win. And and I thought last night, I thought Geno played pretty well. I thought his escape and the touchdown pass to DK, that was I mean, my my uh my son even mentioned he was like, that was like vintage Russell there. That was yes. like pocket collapsing, escape to the right, throw on the run, a freaking dime into the corner of the end zone to DK. I mean, that was that was vintage Russ right there, and uh, that, so that I thought he was fine. I mean, the game stat line would have looked a lot worse had that deflected pass by Thibodeau been caught and taken the other way, and then we'd yes. be talking about a different game there, certainly. So 
So there's things that Gino needed to, you know, needed to improve on, but I think we're in pretty good hands, at least in the short run with, uh, with Gino Smith. He's a playoff caliber quarterback. Is he a Super Bowl caliber quarterback? I think only if you get everything in place. If that sure. defense really, if, if all those guys really get to the potential that we think they can get to all at the same time, that's probably the only way that this offense can can get them to the to the Super Bowl. But it's it's definitely good enough to be, you know, in scoring. What were they last year? Like six, something like yeah. fifth, sixth, seventh in scoring. Yeah. Something. I mean, I don't know why they couldn't do that again this year. Totally. They've got, they've got more firepower this year and you know, it, it certainly wasn't Gino's best box score, but I think that's as fired up as I've ever seen him. Yeah. Doesn't no it? kidding. You know, I said, I said in the article last night, <clears throat> he had a passer rating of 95.8, but a fuck you rating of 158.3. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did the perfect <laughs> FU rating, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in 20 years, I will remember him getting rolled up on, and we can talk about whether that was a dirty hit or not. I didn't really think that it was, but I can see why Gino felt that it was. But yeah. the fact that he had to hobble all the way over to the Seahawks sideline and then turn around and go one on 11 with the Giants <laughs> defensive huddle, fingers in the faces, you know, until the rest of the team realized what was going on and got over there to have his back. Yep. You know, I was yep. like, okay. All right, Gino. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I love that about about Gino. He's got a he's got a quiet intensity, right? He's mm-hmm. not loud and boisterous, and you know, look at me. But when you piss him off, he's gonna let you know that he's pissed off. And I think the dudes love him. I mean, yeah. I, I really do. I think they loved him when he was a backup quarterback. And and so that it, it's so funny because the only people in the world that weren't concerned about Geno Smith being the starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks last year were the dudes of the VMAC. Those were the only people in the world that were like, sweet, we got this. Everybody else was like, oh, crap, this is awful. I'm guilty of thinking that was just lip service that they had to say, yeah, of course, Geno is our guy and we love him, whatever. They love him. him. And, And he seems really comfortable in understanding the role of being a quarterback beyond just playing quarterback. No, that's exactly right. And I just love the Renaissance. I mean, it's almost unheard of, you know, people have used the the Jim Plunkett comparison, but I mean, there's not a lot, man. There are not a lot of guys in the history of this league that go almost double digit years as a backup and a failed starter backup right. to starter. I mean, you got the Kurt Warner situation where he never had the chance to show you what he had. Gino right. had the chance to show you what he had, but you know, there's a little bit of there, there's a little bit of Zach Wilson situation too. There, where like Big maybe time. Gino was just in the Zach Wilson situation, and he needed to get to a place that wasn't a freaking debacle like the New York Jets, and to be able to show, you know, get some good coaching, be able to show what he's uh, what he's all about. And you know, we're seeing that we're seeing that with Gino, and who knows, maybe we'll see it with Zach Wilson if he ever gets out of that hellhole. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And you know, the the other examples, I, I I was also trying to think of comparisons for Gino and. Really, the guys that I could think of, to your point, they they weren't guys who started, failed, and then were backups for a long time. I was thinking like Steve Young and Tony Romo and Aaron yeah. Rodgers, who sat for a long time. But once they became the starters, they they were the starter going forward. Steve was, Young's not a bad comp because Steve Young sucked in Tampa. That's but true. the reason Steve Young sucked in Tampa, he didn't have he didn't have Bill Walsh, Mike Holmgren coaching him. He had you know roll over your coach of the year at Tampa mm-hmm. and it was a bad you know a really bad situation but you saw at least you saw I remember I can still 
in my mind's eye think about the, the you know Steve Young and a creamsicle jersey like running 40 50 yards for touchdowns and so you're yeah. like you kind of knew it's like all right dude this has got maybe you know maybe he's Steve Young maybe maybe he's Daniel Jones maybe Daniel Jones is Steve Young and if Daniel Jones went to Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers maybe <laughs> yeah. he'd turn into Steve Young yeah he, that, I, I actually don't hate that I don't hate that you know uh I think one thing too, and and I probably should have given this a little bit more credence when I was writing about the game last night. I think that a lot of Gino's stats kind of being watered down last night had to do with the fact that he couldn't move after that hit, and yeah. the team knew that and and called the offense accordingly. Because yes. one of the things that really helps Gino stand out, and that really every quarterback who's really good in the NFL is capable of doing is it's not, it's not even the scrambles. It's not the rushing yards, the ability to navigate a moving pocket, set your feet and throw. And you mentioned that, that Kayvon Thibodeau pass breakup that almost got taken in the house right before the half. That was the first play after the injury. uh, Because Gino didn't go out right away. There was a timeout. Gino stayed in the game for one play and they called a zero step drop back one read pass. So he didn't even have the option of checking away from that. Thibodeau beat Curran and was just there. And he kind of pump faked. He's like, I have to make this throw. Right. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm giving him a little bit of a pass on that. But after that, we saw Drew Locke. And, you know, last night, <laughs> last night I, I wrote that I love Drew Locke because he has fantastic vibes. But he has fantastic vibes in the way that an untrained golden retriever has fantastic vibes. Like <laughs> he's, he's really fun, but you wouldn't leave him in the house all by himself because <laughs> you're, you're going to come home to destroyed furniture and yep. a half-eaten tub of sour cream and a big vet bill hanging over your head. But he was in there for that one drive, and we got the full experience. He had the scramble for the first down. He missed a wide-open Jackson Smith and Jigba 20 yards downfield, and then he had the perfect pass to Noah Fant for what was almost the touchdown. I thought it was great to see them get a touchdown on the one drive that he was in there. But stepping back, if Geno were to get hurt, and if you were to miss three, four, five games, what's your confidence level in Drew Locke? Not as, you know, necessarily compared to starting quarterbacks in the league, sure. but as a backup. I think he's one of the top backup quarterbacks in the NFL, and I think he's probably better than four or five starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So I, I, I have pretty good confidence, especially if this defense continues to play this type of ball where they're they're making things happen instead of just, you know, trying to make field goals happen and, and win games, you know, 20 to 17. But I, I think Drew Locke, can you get my my goal for a backup quarterback has always been, can you get me two and two in four games? Right. Yes. And and Gino failed to do that two years ago. He got us one and three in four games instead of two and two in four games. And that's what even made me more skeptical of Gino being the starting quarterback because I thought we saw a pretty good, you know, stretch of time where he was the starter. And I was like, eh, I don't think this is going to be enough. And maybe the problem was, well, Gino hadn't had time taking starters reps. He hadn't had a training camp as the starter. And that's kind of all he needed to be. He was kind of thrust into the situation instead of being, you know, having months to prepare. We're like, okay, Gino, you're the guy. But, you know, I think you're, your uh, comment, as, as a person that has had a yellow lab before, I think your comment about <laughs> Drew Locke is, is apt. You know, you take the yellow lab outside, chuck the Frisbee, <laughs> chuck the ball. You're like, dude, my dog's badass, man. He's really cool looking. 
take them to the park. All the girls are like, yeah, you got a sweet looking dog, dude. And, and then you take them back <laughs> That's home. That's exactly what he is. And, and the little, the, the SOB's got your, your remote in his, in his freaking teeth and saying, yeah, what are you going to do now? You know? So it's crazy, but yeah, I've, I've had that experience. And, and we will, if Gino ever would go down for the, uh, for the the month, you know, we would have the the DLE man. We'd have the Drew Locke experience, and it'd probably be a lot of like the Fernando Rodney experience, yes. man. It'd just yeah. be like, whoa, let's <laughs> hold on and ride this puppy. Good lord! <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. You know, uh, the the way that the context of the game kind of forced things to go. This ended up being a game where Seattle had to lean on their running backs, and like I say all the time. Lots of running backs may not matter, but the good ones do. And yep. that was really apparent to me last night because I think between Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet, this has got to be what Pete Carroll was envisioning when yes. he and John Schneider drafted these guys, yeah? Yeah, and there's really a low bust rate for running backs drafted high. I mean, if, if, you're, right. the, if you're the first or second running back taken in the draft, odds are you're going to be pretty damn good. And so I, I kind of bristle at the people like, why would you draft a running back? Well, I think, I mean, running backs... I think it's perfect because one, it doesn't take a 22 year old running back very long to adjust to the NFL. It's all about instinct, man. You just go out there and play your game. So you don't have that learning curve at running back. And then you run these dudes 200, 200 times for five years. And, you know, I think they should change the collective bargaining agreement to help support running backs, get a, get a second contract. But because I think they should shorten, if you're drafted as a running back, I think they should shorten your contract up. So you're eligible for free agency when you're like 24, 25 instead of 27, because nobody wants a 27 year old running back. So they never have an opportunity to, to make their money. But yeah, I mean, I think you got a nice combo of, of a little fire and ice, a little thunder and lightning there of, of Ken Walker, who loves to run horizontally. Let's face it. Yep. I mean, there's a there's a lot of times we're watching Ken, and you're like, whoa, hey, he's going this way, and he's going that way, and he's juking this guy. He hasn't made any yards yet, but he's run like 25 yards. And yep. then finally he turns the corner and goes, and then you got Shaq, Zach Charbonnet who hits the hole hard and then runs to contact, man. He's yep. like, okay – I got my four yards already because I've made I've I've hit the hole that I'm supposed to hit. Now I'm headhunting. Yeah. Who's who's coming in to tackle me? I'm going right after that guy. I mean, and the guys the guy's got like 25 touches in his NFL career, and you're already seeing defenders make business decisions yeah. when, <laughs> when they're coming right. up to tackle him. How about that blow up at the one yard line in the Carolina game? Ooh, man. Nobody <laughs> wants to be that guy on film. No, that's exactly right. So I think that's a nice combination. I think you're going to be able to, I think you're going to be able to limit the overwork because I think both guys can get in that 200 touch range. And then if for some reason high ankle sprain takes one of those two guys out for three or four weeks, you got another guy that you can lean on heavy and give him the ball 20 to 25 times in a game. Yeah, I, I do think it's really important. You know, we talked a lot about when Charbonnet got drafted, whether it was an indictment of Ken Walker or not. And and my take at the time so far, uh, I think appears to be pretty accurate in that I don't think this was about bringing in someone who can make up for Ken Walker's shortcomings. I think Pete Carroll wants to have two guys that he can leave in for an entire drive. And we've been seeing that. He seems comfortable to have both of those guys out there in, you know, long down and distance situations, short down and distance situations, no huddle, passing, running, 
third and one, both of these guys, you know, pick up a blitz. They both are showing the ability to do that. And, and I think that that's got to be a great comfort to Pete Carroll and, and honestly the rest of the coaching staff. Well, there's very few Derrick Henry's in this world, right? Yep. In fact, there's one. I mean, there's yep. very few Marshawn Lynch's in this world where you just like, doesn't matter how many times you give them the ball, they're always just going to punch McCaffrey's somebody. that guy right now. McCaffrey's that guy right now, exactly. And I'm still waiting for McCaffrey to go down with his, you know, his yearly three-week injury, you know, and yep. it's, it's probably going right. to end up happening because he's just a smaller dude, you know. But, uh, you know, we saw it with Nick Chubb. It's like Nick Chubb was like, you think about the you, – you write a list of the most indestructible running backs in the NFL. Nick Chubb's in the top two, you know, yeah. along with Derrick Henry. And then that dude got his knee bent the, bent the wrong way. So yeah. it can happen yeah. to, to absolutely everybody. But I think you're right. I mean, I think, I, you know, you're going to have your Charbonnet drives probably once a half. And then the rest of the time, Ken Walker's going to be, be in there. And they both, you know, the ideal Pete Carroll world is – you know, those guys combined for 30 to 35 touches, you run for 150 yards, you control the clock and you get out of there with a 20 to 14 win. I mean, that's what Pete Carroll wants to do. It's what he's wanted to do for the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, and, and going back to the passing game, it really was low volume. I mean, Seattle only had 15 completions to go around. And again, I think that's just the context of this game, as opposed to, you know, uh, an indication that the team isn't capable because we've seen them put up big numbers last year and already a couple of times this year, but DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were their usual consistent selves. In fact, uh, Geno's passer rating when he's targeting DK is up over 140 now, which is insane. Uh, wow. I, I thought the touchdown that Metcalf had was one of the most impressive plays of his career so far. And, you know, it wasn't the LeBron alley-oop going up through contact and dunking on a guy type of catch that we saw him make early in his career. It was... It was so subtle and so sly. His When they showed the replay of that, the ball was at the goal line and DK's hands were still at his sides acting mm. like, hey, the play's over. It's not coming you know, my way. And at the last moment, he pivots, dives, makes the catch. And the defender's not even looking <laughs> when, yeah. it, when it happened. You know, that, that to me is really, really encouraging. And it was nice to see Jackson Smith and Jigba tie for the team lead with six targets but they only turned into three catches for five yards. Yeah. At what point do we start to worry about Seattle's other first round pick? Well, starting with DK, DK is the offensive version of that Labrador retriever because yeah. like he has the holding penalty, nullifying a first down. He has the catch on third down that he steps out of bounds. He yes. has, you know, he gets 15 yard penalties. He does all these things and then he makes great plays. I mean, yep. like, like you mentioned, so hopefully he can kind of, nullify some of those negatives and so we have a little better positive to negative ratio for dk um you know as far as jsn you know he's obviously frustrated i mean you saw you saw gino come over to him in the carolina game say you're all good you know it's, it's on me it's not on you don't worry about it and yeah. so i mean some guys the learning curve is a little bit a little bit you know steeper and up until recently up until like the justin jefferson jamar chase era it's taken wide receivers two or three years. Yeah. They, you know, you they go always back talked, and look. They always talked about the year three breakout with wide receivers. That's exactly right. And, you know, so now, but now when you get guys that are coming in the league in the first year going for 1,300 yards and 14 touchdowns, you're like, okay, well, we expect every receiver to do that now. Well, every receiver is not JJ. Every receiver is not Chase, you know? So, 
you know, every receiver doesn't have an offense like the Vikings and the Bengals that just want to chuck it around 40 times. So it's going to take uh, JSN. I loved him in college. I think he's going to be eventually the replacement for Tyler Lockett as the number two guy. And, you know, right now, I think you'll see, you'll, you'll probably see more growth from JSN between now and December than you will from any other player on the team. I, I do agree with that. That's what what I'm anticipating. I was I was hoping to see a little bit more of of a breakout. And honestly, if if Drew Locke didn't airmail him on that one pass, you know, you you add a 20, 25 yard catch to a stat yeah. line, starts to look a little bit more encouraging. The thing that is a little concerning to me is his average depth of target is like one and a half yards. Yeah. You know, like this is a guy, yes, he can win in the first level and at the line of scrimmage, and that's great. But if he's on the field. Right now, teams kind of know, all right, we don't have to worry about this guy going over the top. I want to see them take a seam shot to that guy. I want to see them run a deep crosser with him and give him a chance. Even if it's incomplete, just show it on tape. Yeah. Give me a four verticals with with him on the on, on the hash, right? And yeah. and and get him down there and see what he can do. See if he can make a play, you know, get in the air and make a play. I mean, we saw him do that at Ohio State a number of times. It wasn't totally. He wasn't. I mean, you didn't draft a dude in the first round to be a bubble screen guy, right? Right. <laughs> right. Mean, this this so, is not Tutu Atwell, uh, right? <laughs> exactly. So this is not D Eskridge, you know. Yeah. This is a. This is a guy that should get down the field and make and make plays 15, 20 yards from the line of scrimmage. So, you know, I, I'm sure that'll end up coming. And maybe, you know, maybe the bye week's exactly what JSN needs. You know, he needs those, you know, some some practices, some rest time, you know, get his head right. And and hopefully, you know, they're going to need him down the stretch. I mean, when you have that, that San Francisco, Dallas, San Francisco, Philadelphia foursome in a row, Damn, I mean, find a tougher four games on, the, on anybody's NFL schedule than there isn't that. One. Nope, <laughs> that's nope. nuts. That's a that's a true agogi. And you know, I think the the other thing is Shane Waldron has to adapt having a third capable wide receiver because even in LA they ran a ton of twelve and thirteen personnel there also, and it was you know Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and and Brandon Cooks. But there wasn't that third wide receiver. It was Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett that were the third wide receiver in the same way that we're seeing Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson kind of split that role here. So I think Shane Waldron also needs to learn how to adapt his offense and his play calling to help feature that third split out wide receiver. No, I think you're right. I mean, what I'm loving from Shane Waldron this year, I mean, last year, my favorite was the, uh, you know, was the three tight end set that he would just do the little dumpy to, dumpy to. That was my favorite. Now is the, and they showed it, uh, they showed a breakdown on the, on the game last night was when the, the, the run blocking just all goes one way. The running backs all go to one way. And then you've got two of these wide receivers crossing over the middle from left to right. And just, they're just wide open. I'm loving this misdirection that we're getting from Shane Waldron. You know what they're doing a few times a game that I just love and that like as a defensive coordinator and look, these guys know so much more about football than I ever will, but it would just have me going, what the fuck do I do here is when they line up two or three of the tight ends in the backfield. Right. <laughs> I know they've exactly. Been, they've been doing that. It's like, uh, it reminds me of, uh, Don, you're, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the Don James full house backfield, but Don James, yeah, Don James would put like, you know, he'd put like Hugh Millen under center 
And he had freaking three running backs in a line horizontally right behind Millen and at the at the two-yard line. And it's like, okay, three-card Monty, bro. Which one of these guys is gonna get the ball going into the end zone? It's uh I mean, I want to see. Let's get let's get Will Disley a handoff. What do you say? What do you hey. say, Will? What do you say, Will Disley from the one yard line? <laughs> see if that dude can power power it in, huh? Well, they they do such cool stuff with the tight ends. You know, there was one run. I think it was Ken Walker's biggest run. It was kind of a, a counter up the middle, and on it they had Colby lined up on the left side. It was kind of an an off ball, but still in line tight end, and they had all five offensive linemen blocked to the left. And then they fainted. It was a counter. So Walker starts off to the right, takes the handoff and goes left. So in doing that, all of the offensive linemen are pushing to the left, which leaves a free rusher around the right side. And he's thinking, I've got a free run tackle for loss. And Colby comes flying across the the formation and just absolutely just cracked him and opened up that, that big hole up the middle. And like that stuff is awesome because not only did it help spring a play, on that one, it means the next time that defensive end thinks he has a free run. At, he's thinking right, about he's thinking, it. He's thinking, is, I'm looking, is a 6'7", 280-pound guy <laughs> going to hit me out of nowhere? So they are doing some creative stuff. I'm just excited to see that creativity extend to JSN at some point. No question about it. I mean, I think, and we're like Pete said, we're just getting started. Well, they're yep. just getting started implementing these things too. So, you know, I, and and what, what's nice is, you know, we talked about the gauntlet of the schedule. What's nice is you still got kind of a soft, squishy October, right? Yeah. You still got, you know, you, you got a Cincinnati team that's not a Cincinnati team. You got Arizona, you got Cleveland. Then it ramps up a little bit after that. But you've got the next three weeks that I really think you got to make hay. I mean, you had a minimum two and one in these next three. You should be favored in all three games. I haven't seen the line. I don't know if the line's out yet for the The, uh, the Cleveland the one I think game. is going to be interesting because that defense is outrageous. It is outrageous. I mean, that's that might be a first team to seventeen game. I mean, uh, that's because because you don't know what Deshaun Watson you're going to get, right? I mean, no. you could get the Deshaun Watson that's just awful and throwing passes backwards like he did a couple weeks ago, or yep. you could get one that uh, you know that looks as you know kind of commensurate to what he looked like four years ago. So you never know which one to get. I, I I do think they should win. They should win all three of those games. It's kind of tough to predict a six and one start and a six game winning streak in the NFL. That's a, that probably asking for too much. So I mean, the most likely scenario probably is two and one, which puts them at five and two, and that's kind of where you need to be because you need cushion going into that gauntlet in November. Yeah, I mean, three and one is a great place to be heading into the bye. And and last week I mentioned you talked about it a little bit at the top of the show. I usually hate the early bye week, but I honestly don't think it could get here soon enough. Given yeah, all the I'm okay with it this year. Seattle yeah. has suffered already. We haven't even talked about Jamal Adams. I want to. I want to wait till we see more of him on the field before you know we we chat about him too much because he's one of my favorite players. Yeah. I, I was yeah. heartbroken to see that because uh, all right, we're on the subject. I mean, the dude was in a straight leg cast for what five months, like yeah. having people help him go to the bathroom. Like this is an alpha among alpha type of dude who loves football and you could just see on that first drive all that pent-up aggression of 385 mm-hmm. days of not playing football and then like another 180 190 days before that of not playing football because he got hurt in the opener last year and so you know i that's another thing going back to the defense i mean fully healthy i can't wait to see what clint hurt has dialed up for that guy but assuming this team is much closer to full health when they return to the field in two weeks what are your expectations for them the rest of the way? Not only over these next three to five games, but 
through the rest of the season and have those expectations shifted at all from what you had in the preseason? No, I mean, I, I, th- I thought this team was a 10 win team. Um, I had them um, two and let's see, I had them um, two and two, I think after four games. So they're one game better than, uh, than I thought, but, uh, you know, this is a, this is a team that I think wins 10. I, I think the window of the window of expectations of this team, I think is very narrow. I mean, I, 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 in no world do I see him winning less than nine games. Mm-hmm. And in there are very few worlds I see him. I, in no worlds do I see him winning 13 or more. I just think the schedule's too, too hard. And, yep. and I could probably even put 12 in that. So it's really like it's 9, 10, or 11. And I, think so too. I mean, that's, that's kind of the window that we're living in. And that's playoffs probably 90% of the time where you're a 9, 10, or 11 win team. And, and just hopefully you get the right matchup in the first round and a team you can take care of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had Kevin Burkhardt on after the loss to the Rams and, you know, it was nice to get a national perspective. Someone who calls games for every team, the guy called the Super Bowl last year, you know, he's, he's seen everybody, he's watched the tape on everybody. And I asked him what his expectations were. And he's like 11 wins, you know, and this is yeah. them coming yeah. off laying that, that total. Right. So I, I think the word is out on just how good the talent on this roster is. No, there's no question. I mean, I, I never, I never read too much into game ones of of an NFL season. It's like you have you spend so much time, and there's so much information on all these teams now that you you have these expectations for the teams, and they're usually pretty spot on. Now there's there's two or three teams every year that just fall into the abyss that you don't know is going to happen. But for the most part. Teams usually are what they're supposed to be. And so I wasn't too concerned with that loss to LA. I was like, hey, this is still a playoff team. It's one game. This is where I usually make my money. I usually make my money in, uh, you know, at, the, at the EQC, like in the first two or three weeks of the season, because everybody's panicking. The line's moving against these teams. Right. You know, the, the, the Dolphins, like that was, my, that was my bet of the week last week was like, dude, Buffalo over the Dolphins, man. I'm not taking the Dolphins <laughs> after scoring 70 points and they're going to, bu- and they're going to Buffalo and they're, giving, right. and they're, they're giving all, or getting only two and a half points. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's, I didn't think Buffalo would win by 28, but I thought they'd win, e- thought they'd win easily. I and mean, so you just have to, you take advantage of the public freaking out on teams, both positively and negatively. And you, you know, you get a little uh, Christmas money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> my, my thing is like, you're right. Every year there are a few teams that surprise Seattle being one of them last year, a few teams that are far worse than you think, uh, you know, Denver being one of them last year, this year, it's maybe the Bengals who's Seattle's next opponent. You know, they, they look atrocious. They do. Cause, more, just because the injury, though, I think. To, I, mean, I, think I, it's, I agree. It's, I agree. It's so bur- the team that's really surprising me, honestly, is the Bears. I mean, I actually thought, I was like, okay, this is the year Justin Fields kind of comes into his own. They're, I think they're like an eight-ish win team that is kind of still talking about the playoffs with one or two weeks left to go in the season. And that's been that's been the dreadful team this year. That's been the team that just like wow Dude, fell off the absolute I, face of the earth. Well, just, Justin Fields was the most heavily bet player for MVP this year. Yeah, I bought and, into it. I, I didn't think sure. he was a great quarterback, but I bought into the hey, he's going to be he's going to take a step as a quarterback as a passer, and he's still going to have his thousand yards rushing. That's value to me for it for an MVP. Well, and, and to the Bears' credit, they they tried to follow the blueprint that we've seen other teams, you know, make with their sort of raw, really talented, physically gifted quarterbacks. You know, we saw the Bills give Josh Allen Stephon Diggs, and it completely unlocked him. We saw 
you know, the Eagles give Jalen Hurts, AJ Brown, it completely unlocked him. They right. tried to do that with DJ Moore, who I think is a very good receiver. I just the way I make my money is betting against dysfunctional ownership and dysfunctional management at the top because yeah, I good. do I do think they are the water source. And yep. if there if there's poison in the well, then all the players are drinking that, you know, and and it takes a Joe Burrow to elevate a moribund franchise like the Bengals. And That's and good I don't call. and I don't think Justin Fields is is that as much as I I would love to see him succeed. So zoom, zooming back out here, we're a month into the season. The Seahawks are three and one. There's only two teams in the NFL with a better record than them right now, which is crazy. They are tied with you know six seven other teams at three and one behind just the 49ers and the Eagles who are unfortunately in the NFC. One of them's in the Seahawks division. But now that we've got a four-game sample size, how do you feel the Seahawks stack up against the best teams in the NFL, against the Eagles, Niners, Cowboys, Bills, Chiefs, Dolphins, who I think are kind of clear in a way the six best teams in the NFL? I think think there's only two teams in the first tier, and that's Buffalo and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that, that to me... And Kansas City, Kansas City can get to that to very easily can get to that tier. I just haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, on their on their two now. I've now keep in mind I've only watched Kansas City in their two nationally televised games, and one was a loss at home to Detroit, and another one was a twenty twenty tie to the Jets in the late stages of the third quarter. So I'm a little bit I'm a little bit skewed by those two performances for of Kansas course. City. I'm so going to bet on Andy Reid and, and Patrick. Yeah, Mahomes, exactly. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I will say the caveat is there's only two teams in that top tier with Kansas City eventually going to get to that top tier. They will, they will be in that top tier when it's all said and done. And then I think that second tier includes the Seahawks. I think yeah. it includes the Seahawks. I think it includes the Cowboys. I think it includes the Eagles. Um, I think it includes... Um, probably the Dolphins. Dude, they scare me. Come on. If if the Seahawks are playing the Dolphins next week, you're scared. I'm scared. I'm scared of one side of the ball. I mean, yeah. I think the Dolphins and the Seahawks could play to a similar type game as we played the Lions last year. Yeah. Right? Where it's just like last team with the ball wins. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that Dolphins, uh, Dolphins offense. There's no question about it. I mean, they, they went up against a legit offense in Buffalo and just got a blip. Buffalo could have done to the Dolphins what the Dolphins did to the Broncos. They sh- yeah. yeah ab- <laughs> I mean, absolutely. if, if God, Sean McDermott good. wanted to put a 70 spot on him, he yeah. could have put a 70 spot on him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Let, let, let me frame it to you this way, Dick. If you could go Madden setting and turn off injuries and you've got Seattle playing seven game series on neutral field against every team in the NFL, yep. how many of them are winning that series against Seattle. Which teams uh, are winning I a think, best of seven? I think Buffalo's winning a best of seven. I think Kansas City's winning a best of seven. I think the 49ers are winning a best of seven. Those are the only three I can tell you that I feel comfortable saying they're winning uh-huh. against this. Now, those one, those the Cowboys and the Eagles and the, that second tier I mentioned, that to me is kind of toss-up, right? I mean, yep. the Seahawks go win four out of seven sometimes. They lose four out of seven sometimes. So, I mean, I think I think the Seahawks are legitimately in that conversation of fourth to tenth best team in the NFL. And the only question is, are they going to end up the, as the fourth? Are they going to end up as the tenth and lose yeah. in the first round of the playoffs? If they end up as the fourth, then you know what? They can win that first game on the road. 
they can win that second game on the road and get to the NFC Championship game and play San Francisco for the for a right to go to the Super Bowl, which would be sweet. But I think, realistically, I think that's the best case scenario for the Hawks is second in the division, going to the NFC Championship game and taking on San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if even if you don't win the division, if you're able to get that top wild card spot, you're going to Tampa Bay or you're going to New Orleans. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's, that's a good path. You're winning that game. Absolutely. And then you're getting a Cowboys or an Eagles team. And I think mm-hmm. you, I think you like, give me Dallas at Dallas with all the pressure in the world on that franchise Absolutely. in the second round of the playoffs to go meet San Francisco in the, in the NFC championship. Give me that game right now. I am signing up for that. Yeah, man, (laughs) it's going to be really, really fun to see what happens over the next four months. Look, bro, this is so much fun every time we have you in. Thank you so much for coming in, even after the early dental uh, (laughs) visit this morning. No worries, guys. It was great to talk to you guys anytime. Always fun and uh, keep up the good work. Hey, we appreciate it, man. And uh, before you get out of here, just remind everyone listening where they can get more of you. All right, well, 93.3 KJRFM, 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock every day. Storm season's over, so you won't see me on TV for a while, but uh, I'll be back back on the tube on Fox on uh, doing the Storm games in next May. Well, I can't wait to listen to you talk more about this game on your show this afternoon. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Three and one, headed to the bye, and hopefully coming out fully healthy. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media, I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J A C S O N. Mike is on Twitter at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can catch full video episodes on our YouTube channel at Cigar Thoughts and find the rest of our socials at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at FieldGoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, Be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars or hit me up and I'll shoot you the deets. And when you buy those cigars, reach out and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends.